0: Job chapter number 9, and I almost felt like saying this morning, turn to the gospel of Job, because that is exactly what Job has in chapter 9, one of the greatest gospel messages that you'll find in all of the Bible. You say, Brother Joe, how in the world can you get the gospel out of the Old Testament? I'm glad you brought that up. The Bible said that Abraham had the gospel preached to him. Abraham saw the gospel. And I'm glad the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed and the Old Testament is New Testament concealed and Christ is the theme of both testaments. Now most of the time when you turn to the book of Job, somebody says, oh boy, we're going to hear another message about the storms and the troubles and the trials of life. Well, I'm glad the gospel is for those that are going through the storms and the troubles and the trials of life. But right in the midst of Job's malady, right in the midst of Job's affliction, he gives one of the greatest gospel messages that you'll find in all of the Bible. Let me work my way to my text and then we'll light into preaching a little while. Verse number one and verse number two, a question is, is asked. And chapter number 32, one of his friends tells him, you need to get right, in chapter 8, one of his friends tells him, that you need to get right with God. Job, all of these things that's going on in your life, it's because you need to get right with God. Job thinks about that a moment. He said, well, I got a question. And I want to tell you, it's an awesome question. Then Job answered his friends in chapter number 9 in verse 2 and said, it is of a truth. That, you know, it's true that we need to get right with God. But listen to this question. But how should a man be just with God? Now, won't you let that question sink into our hearts? Job said, I know it's true. Well, all of us ought to get right with God. We all ought to be just with God. But Job's got this question. It's a very reasonable question. It's a very hard question, a very pertinent question. How shall a man be just with God? Job is saying, how can somebody like me ever know a God like him? Or he is saying, how can a God like him ever associate with somebody like me? A question is asked. But beginning in verse 3, down to verse number 10, a qualification is set. And Job answers this question. uh, How can a man be just with God? And he begins to describe how wonderful and how great and how sovereign and how almighty and how miraculous and how holy and how wonderful God is. Glory. And the bigger God gets in Job's life, the smaller he gets in his own eyes. And the bigger God gets to him, the more pertinent the question. How can a man be just with God? I don't have time to read it, but let me give you some phrases that Job sets forth and. This is why he's asking his question. Look how big God becomes and awesome he becomes. How shall a man be just with God? Verse 3. You can't contend with him because you'll lose. And verse number 3, he said, he's got an answer for all your questions. Verse 4, he says, he's wise in heart, mighty in strength. Who's ever hardened himself against God and prospered? Verse 5. He removeth the mountains. He overturned them with his anger. Verse 6. He shaketh the earth from her place, and the pillars thereof tremble, who commanded the sun, and it riseth not, and sealeth up the stars, which alone spreadeth out the heavens, and treadeth upon the waves of the sea. Job said, you've just never heard about anybody this powerful, this sovereign, this omnipotent, this great, this eternal. Why, everything is under his control. Nobody's ever won an argument with God. I love to hear people give their testimony and say, Boy, that night I was under conviction. I argued with God. Well, if you're saved, he must have won the argument. I've heard preachers say, Boy, God was calling me to preach and dealing with me about preaching. I argued with God. Well, if you're preaching, he must have won the argument. Can I just give you some advice today? You're not going to change God's mind. You're not going to change his ways. You're not going to change his word. Nobody that's ever fought against God has ever won. Ask Pharaoh how'd that turn out for him? Ask Herod how that turned out for him. Ask the kings of Babylon how that turned out for him. Ask the king of Zezus how that turned out for him. Nobody's ever won an argument with God. Nobody's ever won a battle with God because God through his word, through his power, through his omnipotence, you can command the sun to shine and it shines and command it not to shine and it doesn't shine. He says, you've never seen such power, such authority, such omnipotence, such wonder, such authority. And I'm going to invent me a word right here. Such bigness. Where are you going to put God? You can't put him in the heavens. He'll burst out. You can't put him in the corner of the earth because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, who in the world can be just with that? How in the world can somebody that knows everything ever fellowship with somebody that doesn't know anything? How can somebody who owns everything ever fellowship with somebody that don't own one thing? How can somebody that is everything ever have a relationship with somebody who is no thing? That's what nothing means, no thing. How can somebody command the stars and they obey him? Can ever come fellowship with somebody that can't even rule his own spirit? How can somebody that's never lost a battle ever fellowship with somebody that's never won one struggle in their life? He is scratching his head going, How can he who is holy condescend to the unholy? How is the wonderful and worthy ever going to condescend to the not wonderful and the unworthy? How is the just ever going to fellowship with the unjust and the right fellowship with the wrong and the good fellowship with the bad and the wonderful and the beautiful fellowship with the ugly? He says, I just don't know how a man like me, you look at me, Job said, look at my flesh. It's rotting off of my bones. I have the most severe form of leprosy. A man have, from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. Look at me. My family's dead. My finances have been depleted. My whole physical body is a wreck and disease. I'm about to leave this world like I came into this world reduced to nothing. He said, I'm worse than a worm crawling in the hot ashes of a fire. Look how wonderful and beautiful and majestic and powerful and sovereign and awesome God is. And then take a look at me, how unworthy and filthy and diabolical I am. You answer me this question, friend. How can a man like me be justified on the same level with the God like him. And he'd even say a God like him. He said the God like him. Can I remind you today? He's not a God. He is the God. He is not a Lord. He is the Lord. He is not a deity. He is the deity. He is not a king. He is the king. He is not a sovereign. He is the sovereign. He is not a high potentate. He is the high and holy, the only potentate. Do you know what today is? He is the only Savior, the only King, the only God, the only Lord, the only way, the only Jesus. And if you don't know Him, you don't know anything. And how can somebody like me ever be just on the same level with him? How if I'm on the scales and deity and holiness and eternality and sovereignty and perfection and immortality, Lord have mercy, is on this side? And flesh and thoughts and failures and nothing is on this side. How in the world could somebody on this side, ever be balanced and just with the God like that? Well, they don't have an answer. And Job's scratching his head and all of his friends scratching his head. And then you come down to the end of the chapter, and in verse number 33, there's another statement that's made. There's another malady in Job's life. And he is so blinded right now by his circumstances He's answering his own question, and he doesn't even know it. Notice what he said in verse number 33. Neither is there any daisman. Now, what in the world is a daysman? Well, he defines the daysman in the next part of that verse. Neither is there any daysman," and I love this old English word here, betwixt. For you fancy people, that means between. For you rednecks from Georgia, it means smack, smack dab in the middle. Neither is there any daysman between us, betwixt us, right smack dab in the middle of us. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that he might lay his hand upon us both. Job said, my question is, how in the world can somebody as wonderful as him ever have a relationship with somebody as unwonderful as I am? I want to answer. And he said, and I'm looking around, and there's not even somebody called a daysman, or the New Testament phrase, intercessor, advocate, mediator, friend, lawyer, high priest, representative. He said, from my point of view, it don't even look like there's nobody in the shadows that can step in between us and settle this argument. Brother Tom, I want you to come and stand on this side with your fist ready to fight. You're not a fearful sight, my dear brother. Shane, I want you to come over here. And your fists raised and ready to fight. You're a little more fearful than this one. Now, let me just get carnal here a minute. I know you're not supposed to bet at all, and especially in church. But if you were going to lay wagers on who's going to win, just tell me after church. But these guys are ready to fight. Honestly, I believe I could whip both of them with one hand tied around my back. I do know this. I may not be able to whoop them, but I could shoot them 500 yards away. Say amen right there. So these two guys have got their fists up. They are ready to duke it out. There is an unsettled argument between them. They cannot get along They have nothing in common. Sorry, sir, I just described your marriage, but we'll preach on that later. But they have nothing in common. They cannot reach any common ground. They don't think alike. They don't look alike. They don't have an appetite alike. They're worlds apart. By the way, I don't know if you've read your Bible lately, but you and God are millenniums and planets apart. Could you like for me to describe God just a moment? Holy, sovereign, eternal, perfect, absolute perfect, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Wow. Anybody read your Bible lately and laid it down and went, Wow, what a savior. What a king. What a God! Ah, oh, if you believe that two little lizards lost their tail and became a frog, and a frog became an ape, and an ape became a man, you you're in trouble already. No, no, no. And two novas in space didn't get off course and collide with each other, and that was some uh, uh, cosmic spell that happened. And all of a sudden, the world no, no. If you believe that, you already at a disadvantage. If you read the Bible, God is holy and sovereign and righteous. And King and Lord and perfect. Amen. That's who He is. I don't want to bust your bubble or hurt your self esteem, but have you read what the Bible says about you and me? Weak, frail. You and God have absolutely nothing in common. You're from different worlds. You don't think alike, you don't act alike, you don't even like and love the same things. It looks like an unsettlement, an unsettable argument. They are at odds. They are ready to go at it. They can't get along. There's no one, it seems like there's nothing they can agree upon. But here is where the mediator, here is where the advocate, here is where the lawyer, here is where the representative, here is where the arbitrator, here is where the uh, uh, advocate, um, the go-between, the troubleshooter, the comforter, Old Testament language, the daysman. That's when he steps between them, calls off the fight, separates them. And brings them to the table where he, not him and not him, but he, the arbitrator, the advocate, the intercessor, the go-between, the daysman, writes out the terms of surrender. Because you have to have two qualifications to be a representative, a mediator, or a daysman. Number one, you got to know the law. And number two, got to have both parties' best interest in mind. Oh, somebody's got to know right from wrong somebody's got to know the law and somebody's got to have somebody's best interest in mind. And so instead of them going at it and fighting forever, the days month, steps between them he gets between them and brings them to a table where the terms of the contract and the terms of the settlement is written out by the daysman who knows the law but yet has both parties best interest in mind and when it is signed and when it is sealed he'll take the hand of one and put it on the document he'll take the hand of the other and put it on the document But it's not sealed, it is not done until the daysman steps between them who knows the law, who has the best interest in mind, takes his hand, lays it upon their hand and the war is over, the contest is over, the struggle is over and peace and reconciliation has been made because somebody stepped between them and settled it with the power and the authority of his hand. Sue Job said, "Look at God." Look how great he is, how wonderful he is, how sovereign he is, how eternal he is, how omnipotent he is. And look how sorry and weak and beggarly and fleshly and low down that I am. Me and God have nothing in common. I'm at odds. We're at odds. We can't seem to agree. But hallelujah, 2,000 years ago, at a hill called Calvary, the mediator stepped in. The intercessor stepped in. The daysman Stepped in and with three rusty nails and a blood trail that leads to the riven side of Calvary, wrote the terms of surrender. And he took the hand of one and the hand of the other and stood in the middle and got them together. And with a bloody hand, said, "It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. You can be accepted. You can be satisfied. You can have fellowship because the daysman got between them." Thank you, boys. That's just the introduction and it's 12. Mm. And Job said, not only I can't know him and be just with him, but I don't even see anybody that can get between us. That's chapter 9. Do the math. You ready? Job has 42 chapters in it. Landon, you're the mathematician around here. If you got 40, how many did I say? You got 42 chapters. And now you're out chapter number 9. And you still can't find anybody. And you start in chapter number 10 and go all the way to chapter 42. If I'm not mistaken, that's thirty. Three chapters. What's forty-two? Why well, didn't even ask him, man? What is forty-two take away nine? Thirty-three. So Job is looking around. How can I know God? How can I be just with God? And God, there's not even anybody that can settle the score. Thirty-three chapters. He's got to walk through thirty-three chapters. Thirty-three more wildernesses. Thirty-three more days of hell on earth. Thirty-three days of more pain and agony. But he gets out of that last chapter in chapter 42 and he looks around and said, whoopee, I found him. I found him. I found him. I've heard about him with my ear. But now my eyes see of him. It took him 33 chapters. He was there all the time. He was healing all the time. He was loving all the time. He was present all the time. But his hell, his affliction, his storm, his challenges, his messed up, discombobulated world had blinded him. And he spends 33 chapters until finally the scales are removed. And he said, I heard about him. I heard about him. I heard about him with my ear. But now my eyes, I see him. By the way, if you know your numbers in the Bible, are you ready for this? Now, this is going to make a Baptist shout. The number 33 in the Bible. Every time 33 is mentioned in the Bible, it's always a direct connection to the unbreakable promises of God. What's going to sustain a man looking for peace, looking for rec- reconciliation, Uh, looking for justification, looking for redemption, looking for hope, looking for victory. How in the world is he going to hang on for 33 more chapters because he's got an unbreakable promise. He's got an unbreakable promise. He's holding on to what God said the last time that he talked to him. You say, I'm here this morning, Brother Joe, and I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I'll tell you what, just keep on doing what he told you to do. The last time he talked to you and when he gets ready to change his mind, believe me, he'll speak up. You say, I don't understand how we're going to make it through another election. I don't know how we're going to go through the last days. I don't know how the church is going to recover on the other side of COVID. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I want to get through that. Brother, you're in chapter 9, and you got 33 to go. But the promises of God will not fail you. The promises of God have never failed you. And I promise you, when you enter into that 33rd chapter, you're going to say like Job, I did more than heard. I see, I see, I see, I see what you're talking about. There is a daysman. There is an arbitrator. There is a kinsman redeemer. There is one that can settle the score. Man, I don't have time to open this, but I'm going to whet you appetite. We're going to have time. for 33 chapters, Job describes him. Whoop. For 33 chapters Job talks about him. For 33 chapters Job lifts him high and holy. And he does even and he doesn't even realize the one he's praising, the one he's serving, the one he's extolling, the one that he's magnifying is the daysman the one that he thinks is nowhere to be found that can settle the argument. It reminds me of the book of the Revelation. When they got to heaven and said, all right, it's time to open up the title deed to the earth, to unloose the things that's going to happen in the last days of the apocalypse. And they looked over there and said, mighty angel, I'm not worthy. Seraphim, cherubims, created beings. No, I'm not worthy. They look to the Old Testament saints and, you know, not me. And John said, I knew better than to raise my hand. It tore me up so bad I got to crying. And I got to thinking like Job. But I don't guess there is one. I don't guess there is anybody that can satisfy the soul. I don't recognize anybody that can forgive me of my past. I don't guess there's anybody that can make life worth living. I don't guess there's anybody who can take all my wrongs and make them right. And he said, I wept much, just like Job, because there was no one worthy to open the book or even begin to loose the seals. But he said, in my despair, one of them created beings laid their hand upon me. said, look over there in the midst of the throne. The lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. And John looked up to see that lion of the tribe of Judah He looked up to see the root and the offspring of David. The one that had the legal, religious, moral right to that throne. And he had to do like Job. I see him now. Let me tell you who he is. He's the Lamb of God. That was slain. And he took those old black hearts and he washed them in red blood. And now they're whiter than snow. that's why they didn't fall down and worship the angels. They didn't fall down and worship the cherubims or the seraphims. They didn't fall down and worship the Old Testament saints or even the New Testament martyrs. But they fell before the shining throne of God and worshiped him whose name is Jesus, Lord, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. Because he's the one that mediated the terms of surrender. He was so blinded that he couldn't see him. His affliction had so blinded him, he went for 33 chapters talking about him. And he doesn't even know the one that he loves and the one that he needs is standing there all the time. I love people when they say, "Boy, in the hour of my distress, God came to me. He did more than that. He was there all the time. Don't, don't make it like it's God's fault you didn't get saved when you did. That's what Calvinism does. It lays at the fault of a holy loving God, an excuse for our sin and our unbelief. Oh, I was on the brink of destruction and God came to me, Justin. My God, he was there all the time. He died for you before you was ever born, son. He saw you before you ever got there. The problem was, it wasn't God was not there for you to call on him. It wasn't that God was so far away you couldn't call. I'll tell you what the problem was. You were blinded by your sin and your man-made pleasure and your old dead religion and your old stinking pride. But son, when you got through your religion and your pleasure... And and your sin, and your pride, Woo! God opened your eyes, and you saw Christ, you saw the Lord, you saw the name, there he is, there he is, there's my hope, there's my redeemer, there's my reward, there's my savior, there's my mediator, I'm glad he laid his hand on us both. That's just the introduction, and it's ten after. No, I'm laying a foundation, well, go like they do on that sportsman's channel. He's got his gun up. That big buck's about to come in that clearing. Then they have a commercial. Or for you lesser spiritual people, he has the pato. He has the patoy in his hand. And he has read the green. And it's about to sweep her through. And they have a commercial break. (laughs) And whoever said that, I promise you, this ain't no $5 million sermon. But honey, have you ever been so low, so distraught, you couldn't find him? You couldn't fill him? God, are you there? Oh, I wish somebody would get between us. I wish somebody would lay his hand upon us both. I just want to tell you, don't quit in chapter 10. Don't quit in chapter 11. Don't get bitter in chapter 12. And don't rebel in chapter 13. Keep on walking. And one day you'll step in chapter 33 and God will reveal everything that you didn't understand. And you'll say, I heard that he dried tears. I heard that he moved mountains. I heard that he changed lives. Lord God, somebody help me right there. I heard he changed the world. Now I know. Now I know. I see him now. He was there all the time. A days man. That'll take his hand. Well, Joe, why are you so concerned about his hand? Well, any hand that can throw the world out there. Any hand that can stars out there. Any hand that can fling a sun here and fling a moon over there and f- heap up the mountains and ripple the waters. I'm sure a hand like that can settle my score. I want in closing today, is there anybody remember the day that God got betwixt you? That he laid his hand on you. And he is right of what's wrong in your life. I'm going to close right here, but the Lord might not help her for the next couple of Sundays. We're going to walk through these 33 chapters. and We're going to get a glimpse of just who and what he is. He's the redeemer. He's the reigner. He's the ruler. He's the refiner. He's the rewarder. He's the reconciler. He's the restorer. He's Mr. Right. Do you know him today? But the mountain's too high and the river's too wide and everything's too messed up. You just need his hand laid upon you. He can fix it. There is a daysman. There is a representative. There is an arbitrator. There is a mediator. There is an intercessor. And Jesus is his name. We're standing all over the building. Our Heavenly Father, we love you today. Lord, if you gave us what we deserve, we'd already be in heaven.